Before we get started on today's show, uh, we just all wanted to take a moment. We just got done with the first Art of the Float roundtable discussion and just wanted to take a moment to share our excitement. Uh, Amy, how was it for you? So this was, I have to admit, this is probably the most fun thing I've done all year. And I run a float <laughs> center, so that's saying a whole lot. Uh, the best part was seeing all the smiling faces. I felt like I was transported back to the float conference. I was in a room with friends. There was mm -hmm. so much meaty information. We just had a blast. It was fantastic. Yeah, I agree with Amy there. That was super fun. We had people from all across the world, like people from New Zealand. That's <laughs> that's crazy. I've never even been that far. But what <laughs> One of my uh, one of my favorite parts about it was you not only seeing everyone, but actually what I learned. Uh, I'm I'm going to work tomorrow, and well, I actually created more work for myself. But I'm making some changes, and I'm going to get it on them now. Just like um, just like finishing listening to this podcast right after we um, had uh, Jay on the podcast, I immediately went and jumped in the shower. I need to get in water. I need to be submerged. So, um, yeah, the roundtable was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Um, Super excited for the next one. Yeah, so this this one that we just completed a few minutes ago was on memberships, uh, pricing, and client retention. And we covered the gamut. It was great. Amy, Lance, and I did a lot of research beforehand into our own numbers and also um, uh, into just what other people are doing in, in float centers and, and beyond. So we made sure that we had a lot of content. But what was so exciting was how much content everybody else brought to to the to the roundtable. It was so um exciting to hear all these different concepts and ideas that other people are doing for for those flow centers and just to back up what she said amy just seeing their faces while sharing it and like just being able to kind of in this live environment have that excitement was so much fun i think everybody also just had a really fun time tonight too um i'm still like, still experiencing the high from it it was awesome um <laughs> Cool. You guys, uh, this is our episode where we interview uh, uh, Wallace J. Nichols, and obviously that we did that last night, and we hadn't done the done the roundtable yet. So we just wanted to share with you guys our excitement that we're experiencing right now, and enjoy the show. You're listening to Art of the Flow. Welcome to Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. This is our weekly podcast that tells our stories of running our float centers and where we love to give tips on starting and running your own float center. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Art of the Float. And you can join the conversation by leaving a speak pipe on artofthefloat.com. If you go there, it's the gold uh, bar on the left side of the screen. Click that and you can leave us a message, I think up to five minutes long. So let us know how you feel. Ask any questions you like. We'll definitely play it on the air. Art of the Float is also where you can find show notes, links, and pictures from every episode or anything that we talk about. I'm Dylan. I'm one of your co-hosts here. I run the float shop in Portland, Oregon with my wife, Sandra Calm. I'm joined with Amy from Float Nashville. Hey, y'all. Hi there. And Lance <laughs> of Float Shack in Red Deer, Canada. Hey, everyone. <laughs> I want to hear about your guys' weeks. Amy, I've got a question for you about your week. But first, yeah. I want to give a shout out to our sponsor. They've been with us from the very beginning, Float Away. They're the manufacturers of my float tank, which I'm so proud and excited to have. We've been working um, on the color therapy option, which is really fun because it can change, uh, have different color lights going on inside your float tank uh, while you're floating. You can also change like how quickly it happens, the different colors, whatever you're in the mood for. 
And what's really fun is the outside actually even has a light that's doing the exact same colors. And so uh, when we're prepping to do a little photo op, which will be coming up here soon for our float tanks, that's going to be really fun to play with. And um, yeah, it just, just makes the tanks and, and the water uh, pop a little bit. So that's going to be fun. If you're interested in a float away float tank, go to www.floataway.com. Amy, you have, I think they're called Hue Lights, and they just came out with some new tech. Please tell me about yeah. it, because I'm interested. So Hue Lights are uh, expensive light bulbs is what they are. <laughs> but basically what they are is uh, you can control them via an app on your phone. So when you buy your first kit of Hue Lights, you get a bridge, which you plug into your router, and you attach, you, uh, attach this to your app. And... The cool thing about the lights is you can control them from the app. And not only can you control if they're on or off, but the particular hue lights that I have, you can, you can change the color. You can set what they call scenes where you can, if you have multiple lights in a room, you can kind of basically design a, a lit scene. Uh, so they're really fun to wow. play with. And I got super, super excited about them probably, I don't know, maybe three, four, four, five months ago. And without doing my research, I ran out and bought a bunch of these expensive light bulbs and got them back. And I'm like, this is it, Mark. Mark being my, uh, my business partner, I said, you know, our lights uh, in our room are on motion sensors. We can dim them and our clients can dim them, but they're touching as they touch the light. You know, mm -hmm. we're getting salt in the light socket and we're having problems with the motion sensors. It's causing mm -hmm. all kinds of issues. We're going to put these great bulbs in. And all that problem is going to go away because they're going to be nice and dim and comfortable, um, and they won't have to won't have to do anything. And we put them in, and I realized that they were not compatible with the motion sensor at all. Oh shoot! And okay. then of course I I read, you know, like I should have done. Right. <laughs> uh, I read the manual, and it said yes, yeah, not compatible with motion sensors. Duh. Um. So I did some. Then I did my research after spending money. And found out there really wasn't anything available. Someone, whoever did, whoever did this, I'm so thankful. Someone posted in Float, uh, Float Collective. Mm -hmm. Get that right? They just changed it this week. Yeah, that's actually a good uh, point. Yes. Float Collective this week. Um, somebody posted that they now make motion sensors for the Philips Hue lights. So I was so excited. I went on Amazon bought two sensors, which were, compared to the light bulbs, they were very inexpensive <laughs> and super, super easy to install. I got them on Monday during our deep clean. We changed out the bulbs. Um, it took all of uh, three minutes to get them working, if that. And sure enough, they work beautifully. They work just like our motion sensors. So once someone gets into the tank and there's no motion in the room and the door isn't moving and the shower is not on, uh, we the, the lights will dim and then they'll go out. And you can choose how quickly or how slowly you want them to go out. Nice. Um, we can control the – this is the other thing. So backing up, when, when, our, when I realized the first time that our Philip Hughes lights would not work um, – we were desperate and we put in, we tried out gels. We took lighting gels and put them. So lighting gels are, uh, let's see, like DJs might use them to, um, to put over the lights to create different colored lights. They're just great thin, like a gel, yeah, filter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they call them lighting gels. And we purchased those and we put them in our lights and, and they worked 
pretty well once we found gels that weren't too dark and weren't too light. Mm -hmm. But the issue was when we'd clean, the only way to get the bright light in the room was to go get the little ladder, <laughs> climb up the ladder, take out the gels. <laughs> it was a mess. Got it. So with the hue lights, when we're cleaning, with the touch of my app, I can turn on the bright lights. And then when we're done, you nice. take them back to the nice, soothing mm -hmm. scene that we created in each room. Clients no longer touching the motion sensor, or I'm sorry, the um, dimmer on the wall. So we're not having that cleaning and hopefully we'll, we won't have the issues with the lights. Uh, it has been beautiful and fantastic and people have loved the, the feel when they walk into the room because it oh, creates so a mood. Cool. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. As I'm listening to it, I'm geeking out about this. I'm curious if people <laughs> listening to the show who don't have a float center yet will have any appreciation for how amazing this actually is. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, a, a, it, it's a big investment, though. Like you're... Yeah, so how much are the actual light bulbs? So our first kit included three light bulbs and a, what they call a bridge. You only need one bridge, but your bridge is, the bridge is what connects to the router, and then the light bulbs connect to the bridge. They, uh, they wirelessly connect to the bridge. So my first kit was that, and I think it was $160, okay. I think. Um, and then I had to buy one more because we wanted to put, we have two float rooms where we're using them and two bulbs in each room. So we had to buy an additional one. It was about $60 for that uh, bulb. So it's not, not the cheapest thing in the world. Yeah. But, but it has made our life so much easier. That, that's a huge thing. I mean... Lighting in your float rooms, whether it's on a cleaning day or like even during a transition when you got to get in there and clean and then but also still being able to create the ambiance that you want for a client coming in like a $60 or, or you know, 160 for three bulbs. That sounds like a cheap investment for everything that somebody spends creating their float center. That's that's on the low end. It definitely, you know, all those minutes count, especially in deep, I know y'all do some pretty, pretty long deep clean days. Mm -hmm. it, it takes a while. Deep cleans are not quick. They're a day-long affair. So all those minutes count, and all that uh, up and down a ladder, changing light bulbs, <laughs> all that matters. Every minute counts. Now, I will say something that came up Please. about this today. Um, if our internet goes out, um, our lights will come on and yeah. stay on uh, because we cannot use the, uh, mo the motion sensor function that is in there while we're utilizing the hue light. It just is not compatible. What happens is all the nice, pretty scenery with a, the soft lights that you've created, it goes to bright white lights and it doesn't go off. Damn. Now that, so we're, we're working on that, but in the three years we've been open, our internet's gone out maybe four times. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're seeing what we can do about that. Um, I'm surprised and, they don't have a way to change the default to a preset lighting scenario you know what i mean uh just because you the internet goes down doesn't mean that you need floodlights on that's just my opinion but it well, seems that's, like yeah that's how they work they work off your network so you leave you're supposed yeah. to leave your switch all the way on if you shut your switch off and turn it back on it resets basically yeah. to not factory settings but it just resets to a basic light setting that's why amy's dimmer wasn't working every time someone would shut it off it'd turn back on and go to like a basic halogen light looking setting so um, there are parameters you can set for certain things. I'm not sure about the internet aspect of things, um, but yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. We're okay. we're we're working on that. I, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna find a solution to it. Cool. But mm-hmm. I I know it's an investment for some people. That's quite an investment. But we have enjoyed it so much. So, oh my um, gosh, for the and they're, 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 and the they're beautiful. Sorry, we're all talking. But and there's there's hundreds of apps that you can pair with you light bulbs too. Uh, my favorite, I just want to put a plug for this, is called On Switch. Um, you can buy live active scenes that make it look like a lightning storm or <laughs> fire or Wow. A spaceship or <laughs> all sorts of fun things, but um, now I, I will. S- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lance. I'm sorry. I was going to say now I will say that one thing I found out because I don't like the Hue, the Philips Hue uh, app. It's pretty mm. crappy, and you'll mm. notice I think it has a rating of 2.4. <laughs> Unfortunately, the other apps that I found so far do not have the upgrade with that works mm, with the motion sensor yet. yeah yeah I believe, i'm sure it'll be quick i believe you were one of the first people i know to even get this like i believe it was dustin erickson that posted in float collective the other day and right. you had one two days later and it's <laughs> awesome i'm sure there will be updates coming out real sure, soon sure. um yeah but, there's you're the first one there amy high five so <laughs> yeah as the beta tester if while you're doing all the work here if i i'm also curious about the sensor part because we've had a just a real, a real crap time with motion sensors and then basically yeah. turning on during people's floats. I assume it's because of the humidity mm-hmm. and moisture in the room. Um, there are so, so many reasons what's that it can turn on. your experience been with uh, the... It, same thing. Oh. Uh, moisture, salt getting in it. Um, also, cell phones can sometimes set them off. Um, wow. So there's all kinds of things that can set off those motion sensors. And so that's why we were telling people... Dim, you know, our our tip is dim your light mm. all the way down, which, by the way, we do have a light that stays on low in our showers in front of the float tank. Mm. So while it doesn't give a light leak into the tank if the door is closed, there is a light on in there. So it was cool. okay if they turned it all the way down, they could still see. So we always suggested they do that because we had that problem so consistently, mm. and it was such a pain. Yeah, most most common motion sensors work off a thermal type sensing. So if you ever have a fan kick on or a draft in your room or something like that, that's enough to trigger the sensor. So with us, we have our furnace, our forced air heating comes in one room and it forces through the room and gets sucked out of our um, shower fan and that will flick on our sensor. So if we would have positioned the sensor in a different way or there is like upgraded sensors with remote heads that you can put in a corner that um, they sense um, not off thermal. It's a different type of sensing. I can't tell you off the top of my head, Um, but they're a bit of an upgrade, but um, you can definitely get by it. But salt will ruin dimmer switches. And especially if you are running um, hue lights, like for you, Amy, I would recommend taking that dimmer switch right out because um, dimmer switch works by reducing the voltage input to that light and, a fuse the, the hues you can dim them like you can dim it it's not going to wreck it they have sort of set parameters in there but it's probably better for the light if it always gets full voltage so just a typical on right. switch right yeah yeah that's for sure that's one thing that we do have to keep in mind is that right now with the dimmer switch in there we do keep the dimmer switch turned all the way up or else we're going to start mm-hmm. having problems with the lights so uh I'm not sure how soon we'll get the sensors out. We want to make sure everything works. Mm-hmm. But um, but with people not touching the motion sensor, we're hoping that we won't have the issues that we used to. And the great thing about it is uh, it's magnetic. So right now we just have it on the light switch, uh, I don't know, plate. 
currently. Uh, so until we figure out where exactly we want to put it, we may not leave it there. We might put it up high or somewhere away where people can't touch it, and it's kind of out of the way of any kind of water splashing, that sort of thing. I'm just, have some I options? feel like we could do a whole episode on hue lights. I got so much to offer. And lighting in general. Yeah. We'll have to get back to that one for yeah. sure. I'm just amazed that we have wireless <laughs> technology in our light bulbs. Like, who was the first person to think of that? I think that was a good idea. And here I am desperate to get my hands on one. <laughs> Is there anything You'll else, Amy, going on this week besides your, your lighting? Yeah. <laughs> we have a busy week. Actually, um, well... Being in Nashville this week, the World Aquatic Health Conference is actually right down the street from my house, which is kind of crazy. And tomorrow, Ashcon and Graham from Floaton are making their way to Nashville to present a workshop on float tanks. Nice. And we, uh, well, actually, our the health department that we're we've worked with, our Nashville health department and our our state health department, are going to be coming to that, and we're going to be meeting them there. And in addition, we've received phone calls from multiple health departments, I think I've mentioned this last week, uh, who are also, who've been asking questions. And so we're going to go and and meet with some health departments, have some conversations, and uh, get some of them floating even. Some of them have never seen a float tank. Cool. uh, And they don't know what is going on. So (laughs) so we're going to hopefully give them a uh, make a good first impression and, and hopefully ease the way of some other float centers who are going through some of the struggles we did not just five years ago. So, uh, and then we have the whole week and I get to see uh, our, cert- our guests who we're having this evening. I am very excited to see him speak this week as well. Oh, no way. So, yeah. So it's a real exciting week. Uh, I'm, That's incredible I'm pumped. Cool. I'm ready to go. There's some, some good stuff, some good learning ahead. Oh, wow. I love it. I love it. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to have to ask him about that as well. Yeah. And For gosh, sure. I feel like you guys, Lance, or excuse me, uh, Graham and Ashcon get to see you guys more often than I do. It's <laughs> no, ridiculous. They're just it's always true. motoring like around. The third, it's true. <laughs> third time this year. Um, yeah. That's crazy. So, it's always dangerous. I'm always like, so Mark, y'all are going to go out tonight? Don't you have a, I'm going to have to give Mark a curfew. Those boys are crazy. <laughs> Bad influence on Mark. <laughs> I, I not will really. not make I any comments it. on Flodon's no. partying abilities. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's always happy, so I, I'm, I'm totally down with it. But uh, I have to give him a curfew so that we can make it to the WA right, no kidding. HC in the morning. Yeah, I'll save it for that evening. <laughs> Lance, there were some, some big changes to uh, float facilitators this week. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. You want to tell me about it? Well, they weren't really big changes. It was like actually small changes, but looks like big changes. Sure. Um, yeah, with float facilitators... Um, well, let me rewind this a bit, and let me bring this back to what was formerly known as the Canadian Float Collective. Mm-hmm. So um, we originally started the Canadian Float Collective as um, something that we wanted to be somebody that could sort of separate ourselves from the Float Tank Association because we didn't want to feel like we would ever interfere with what they're doing, but we wanted to help. We genuinely wanted to help the industry with um, any way we could. So we want to create the collective. And um, as time has moved past and we've moved forward, we've sort of seen that um, there's not too much benefit to having that word Canadian in front of Float Collective because... I feel like some people are not fully understanding 
what we are, not wanting to put their full trust into us or full um, energy into us because they think, oh, that's for Canadians. But really, that's that wasn't our intention. We wanted to help the industry in every single way we can, and we don't want to let simply uh, one word um, sort of interfere with that. And um, this is an association for everybody. Um, it's It's called the collective because we want everybody to use this as a resort, everybody to contribute it, to be a part of, you know, the toolbox that every float center has. So um, we've decided to drop the word Canadian from float collective and seamlessly seamlessly operate as float collective. So um, float facilitators, which was originally created by us um, during a board meeting as a group for float center operators to talk about float center specific problems. We didn't want our customers, you know, hearing about ty- different types of skin rashes or, you know, problems with water or anything like that. So that's how float facilitators started. And, you know, for some people that word wasn't really ringing a bell for them. And, um, we just decided to change it to Float Collective. So it's the same old group. Nothing's oh. really changed except for the name. And, uh, yeah, it's a tool for everybody, for everybody in the industry to, you know, help grow together as one. So that's, uh, that's the change for Float Collective. Well, I think that's awesome. I, that's something I've known for a long time is that Canada was not, while it was in the name, there weren't any borders around it. So I'm really no, glad that you guys no. are showing everyone yeah and at the time when we started all of us that started the cfc were in our first year of starting a float center so you know the fta was somebody we didn't want to Mm -hmm. you know disrupt or feel like we're intruding on Mm -hmm. what they've been building for years and that was sort of how we created that separation but um we've grown a bit and we've uh evolved so just one of our changes and there'll be New website coming out, um, a better communication where we can get more people involved in projects and work better as, you know, the collective. Um, but it's been it's been sort of a challenge to sort of get everything passed through a board vote and move forward and goal set and, you know, who's in charge of what and making sure there are liabilities in place. So um, we're getting there. It is a process, as you've heard Amy and I speak of um, on different episodes. You know, non nonprofits take a bit more work than <laughs> than anything else I've ever encountered. So, well, and I also uh, think whenever you put something to committee, it's it, it's going to take longer to get anything, anything yeah. accomplished. I was yeah. even surprised when Sandra and I floated uh, started a float center how slow it was to, to get things rolled out. It's like, wait, we own this place. How come we can't just make, just flip a switch and, and change how things are run? It's like, well, no, there's people who depend on it and you have to roll things out in a way that makes sense. And mm-hmm. so um, when, when even more people in, in involved, I'm sure it, it uh, does take some time. Um, so, yeah. yeah, just, just to, so there is no confusion. There is a difference between the float collective page and the float collective group. The group is where all the conversation happens. The page is where we're going to be spreading education and information and cool. sharing your links throughout the flotation community. So awesome. join the group, like the page, 
Yay, Flow Collective. <laughs> may I also add, uh, join the newsletter list uh, because the newsletters, I, first of all, I think Trika, does Trika write those? Trika writes those. Uh, I think she's I think, amazing. Yeah, people contribute, and, but she does pretty much all the work there. She does. She puts it together. And those newsletters are super meaty, have lots of good information in them. So I enjoy receiving mine. So I'm, I'm going to push people to that because I, I think it's a really great uh, resource for people who own float centers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or sure. who are starting float centers. It really, there's good information for everyone. That's something I wanted to bring up, too, was the newsletter. The most recent one was, I mean, meaty, meaty newsletter and beautiful. It was just a great, informative, pretty newsletter. Should we be anticipating more of those coming down? Yeah, yeah. That one was sort of postponed a bit, and I think it was almost two newsletters put into one. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, as things um, settle down here for us, as, as our new visions are all aligned, um, you will be expecting more More emails like that and uh, more, you know, keeping you in the loop of what's going on in the industry. So much like we do on the podcast, but just through a different medium, I guess. (laughs) You know, and another another thing was the FTA was represented in the the newsletter as well, which my wife Sandra brought up, which was, uh, you know, Canadian Float Collective working with the one that came out of America. I was like, oh, that's that's awesome. Already that they're kind of showing the borders coming down. Uh, yeah. Everybody's working together behind the scenes is awesome. I love it. Yep. We all we all have, you know, similar goals, but we all specialties in different areas. So um, FTA is really science-based and research-based, and that's what they seem to invest most of their energy and time in, and we fully, you know, support that. And I don't see myself investing in very much research uh, anytime soon, or I should say the collective. So, Got it. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, my week, uh, you know, that was a big change that happened a lot of people went into making that change happen. But um, for my week, there wasn't really much else that happened. We were quite busy. I spent the weekend. I celebrated um, the life of a friend and floater that passed away. Um, that was really great. And then um, Monday, we jumped right into our maintenance and sort of had a pump that have had a leaking shaft seal for a while. And, you know, I'm always in there cleaning it, spraying it down with the spray bottle getting it all clean, hoping it goes away. But unfortunately, <laughs> it never does work like that. It didn't seal itself shut with salt. No, no, no. <laughs> Those ceramic seals, darn. They, right. uh, you know, once there's salt in there, they're sort of toast. But uh, yeah, we sort of let it go for a bit too long. And mm-hmm. I decided it's time to rip it out. So I pulled the pump out and put it on our bench and noticed that the law, there's some salt getting into the motor. So mm-hmm. um, for those of you who don't know... Um, Basically, your pump comes in two parts. Uh, One side is your fluid end. Um, That is where there's an impeller inside and sort of a housing that your water flows through. And then a shaft connects that to your electric motor, which actually does the driving and spins the impeller. Um, The electric motor is electric. It doesn't like water. It doesn't like salt. You shouldn't combine those two. Um, (laughs) When your shaft steel, your shaft seal starts to um, leak on your fluid end, Um, that salt then gets thrown into your motor and salt will start to build up inside the motor and those windings and different um, metal components in there will start to corrode and your motor will pull more amperage, which means it will get hotter and it will pour more over electrical load. So if those shaft seals start to leak, don't just clean it, replace it. Um, They will not fix themselves. I promise you with years of being a mechanic, (laughs) never seen it happen. (laughs) Um, so yeah, uh, preventive maintenance is key to not, mm. um, instead of, if you don't take care of that seal, 
Um, that's not only costing you the $10 seal, it's also costing you the $100 motor. So change the seal, save yourself a motor. <laughs> that's a great motto. We're going to have to make yeah. some shirts out of that. Um, yeah, I sound like a used electric motor salesman over here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, your your business partner Matthew also in the video he he posted a video about this and he talked about and and I know you've brought this up on the show before but I wanted to just cover that again the difference between um, and you're gonna have to give me the vocabulary through this for this but instead of turning the gauge to stop the water you have pole valves I forget what he called them yeah so um, the ones that you turn are called um, usually quarter turn valves or just uh, say a turn valve or ball valve there's numerous ball terms valve, for yeah. it but what we use is called gate valves and gate valves imagine water flowing through your garage and you shut your garage door <laughs> that's how a gate valve works so it just it goes up and down a ball valve imagine a basketball with a hole through it and when the the hole is open, the water's flowing. When you turn the basketball, so the holes are opposite of the pipe, it's closed. So um, we just use the gate valve because um, I don't think there's any specific reason. I think it's a bit of okay. a cleaner, uh, cleaner style of a a valve, and I just like it. Okay, I just like Fair the enough. gate valves. They just feel they just feel right. <laughs> so I, I thought you had mentioned that they had higher flow rate. And so I was curious why plumbers in general don't use more gate valves than ball valves. So um, if, if um, I think no... that's that's um, from valve to valve, um, that's that will differ. But sure. usually if you have an inch and a half valve, that inch and a half ball valve should be an inch and a half opening inside. Um, there may be some cheaper type ball valves that that's uh, maybe a one inch in there because they maybe reuse that ball in different housings sort of thing. Um, but our gate valves are inch and a half and they open it up and it's an inch and a half opening. So cool. n- there's no restrictions in our system. Everything is inch and a half. And I've specifically, I, I like my system that, that way. I've rebuilt, a, <laughs> I've seen other systems that are quite a bit of um, reducers and then they go bigger and that just causes uh-huh. a lot of turbulence, a lot of uh, uh, the air pockets. Just, yeah, it doesn't take care of your water. You wanna you wanna massage the water as you filter it. Love it. <laughs> Lance, our water masseur, fantastic. Thank you, Lance. Is there anything else you wanted to share about your week? Uh, well, we just had another gentleman come through for an apprenticeship, so we've been going over all the fun stuff of starting a float center right from the very start of planning it to business plans to construction and everything in between. That's been a lot of fun and. This whole week feels like education for me. Um, we got the apprenticeship going on for three days. I've done some consulting, and uh, we got our roundtable this week. So very excited for that. Lots of uh, lots of help, lots of education, lots of um, learning. I'm learning lots as I'm going through it all. Super excited. To, <laughs> oh, I can uh, only imagine. Learn. I mean, I think the best <laughs> way to, to really learn is also to teach. Like, then you have to really know every single detail inside of it. So Yeah. On um, the spot. You said, yeah. <laughs> you said throw yourself was... in the center of it and swim. Swim, baby, swim. Three three days long. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about two things. One is how exhausted the people going through the apprenticeship are, and two, how exhausted you are at the end of the three days. Uh, it's been um, it's been interesting. We sort of got behind on some of the the things that we need to do float center wise because we're putting a lot oh, of focus to, sure. you know, proper education and just going through everything with trying to not be. Uh, interrupted while that's happening Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it's pretty exhausting it's all much like you've heard me say before it's much like a blur it's all a blur Mm -hmm. but 
And the end of the day, I love it. I'm going to bed happy, waking up excited to do what I do. So keep the blur going, I guess. <laughs> now, are they just up to the fill to the brim with information, and are they spinning, uh, the, or are they the, the gentlemen we have? Um, very, very smart. Very oh. smart. Very hands-on. Very <laughs> creative. Very confident. Um, basically, a lot of the things we're doing is just reassuring oh, <laughs> everything he has. Um, uh, his ideas, his layouts, his um, super smart man. There's... Great. And so he's done his research. He's he's ready yeah. to go. This is kind of yeah. like a And final... he has a good background, good hands-on background. Cool. He's um, worked with hydroponics, so he understands <laughs> the plumbing side of things, the water chemistry side of things. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome guy, too. <laughs> That's fantastic. I had um, Charlie, who is... I'm not exactly sure how to describe this. Our newest competition, uh, the newest float center opening up in Portland, <laughs> a few um, blocks away from us on, so on the west side. There's no other float centers on the west side, I guess, is the best way to describe it, which is, I think, why there's, um, when, when people talk about competition, uh, this is, I feel like, the first time I've got to experience that sense of competition coming up, of somebody else opening up and in my part of town and how does that make me feel? What are my reactions to it? And, uh, by all means, we, we have feelings about it. Like I, I can't deny that it's, there's some scariness. He's going to have a beautiful float center. I, I, he's got all, by the way, another spot for float away. He's got the float arounds coming in. He's got some beautiful float tanks coming in there that I absolutely love. So, um, uh, with that being said, I can't control his success. I can only control, uh, you know, what we do within our walls here and, and I suppose our marketing. Um, but what I can control or what I can do is extend, whether it's an olive branch or really just like a hand a hug. And so, uh, it was nice. He came over and floated, uh, with us and floated in, uh, our tranquility, our float away tank. And, uh, we just spoke for, I want to say 30 minutes afterwards, but it might've gone quite a bit longer than that. And he's just such a nice guy. And I think we're nice people. Um, if I can say that without too much ego and, and, uh, we, we just get along splendidly, want to help each other and make sure that we are both running really nice float centers. So I, I don't know what things are going to look like a year from now and five years from now, but whether, I mean, worst case scenario is we go out of business, we still have a friend and a place to float, you know, and what, what's far more likely to happen is we both thrive and we both do fantastically. Uh, and we also have a friend and a place to float. So that's, that's kind of cool. So I'm digging that. Um, I really like Charlie, which is very pleasant. You know, that's kind of nice, I guess. Uh, as far as if, if you're going to have competition, somebody that you really like is is really fun. Um, so I'll be actually checking out his place um, maybe this week, probably next week, and uh, potentially helping him set up his float tanks and stuff too, which is just something I geek out on. That's going to be a blast. So uh, yeah, that that's going to be a lot of fun. And um I won't even sabotage his float tanks, I, I promise. <laughs> when is he opening, Dylan? Oh, I couldn't speak for him on that one. Okay. <laughs> you know how know. it he is. He had a date set. <laughs> right. I, I think originally his opening date was in October, but I think gotcha. the things to slow it down or delay it have, have been happening since a long, long time ago. I mean, th sure. that was a lot of what we talked about were the, the delays and things delaying it. Um but actually, he didn't give me a new opening date, and that was probably a wise thing because I'm sure that will also change. Um, Just life, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good for him for hanging in there. Right? Yeah, he's and yeah, he's got a head on his shoulders too, and I think he sounds similar to uh, the gentleman Lance was talking about doing apprenticeship with as well. Like he he knows what he's doing, and and uh, that's great. 
and has and has good people around him helping him as well, which is very important. Um, something else I just wanted to share was I've got the I've got a baby on the way, my first baby, and uh, it's been so exciting. And I've just been watching my own brain kind of wrap around this for eight months now, and and Sandra doing the same. And I'm so happy it's nine months because there's no way my brain could have wrapped around this in a shorter amount of time. Um, but it's been interesting this week. Uh, things really just started bubbling up about how much life is going to change and anxiety and um, anxiety about the home being set up, anxiety about our work being set up. And um, I think maybe that came up more in Sandra than myself this week. And so that brought up some some stressful stuff in our relationship. And that, of course, affects the home and the business. And uh, it was, I would call it like a flare up, but it also um, came down very quickly. We have a very good community around us. And so we both have people that we can speak with about these things and, and find, you know, find a good place to, to go to. Um, and I think just pretty quickly recognized what it was that we are good people <laughs> and that, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to raise a beautiful little girl and, uh, a, a brilliant little girl. And that, um, what's the other try- thing I'm trying to think of here? Um, we're never going to have everything dialed in. Um, even if I were, were to make sure all the trim in our house is, is fixed because we moved in and had to put in new floors, even if I made sure uh, our float rooms were totally dialed in, there's always constant change going on. And so that's something where I think we were both feeling and something she was vocalizing was wanting everything set. So like when we have this kid, boom, we're ready to go. And of course, that's still the aim, Right. But the truth of the matter is things are going to keep flying up and keep uh, things go wrong. And uh, I, I received uh, a text today about something wrong with the float tank and, and had to troubleshoot from home. And, and that's just a nature of the beast. And sometimes I have to get to the float center and sometimes I don't. So uh, that's just going to be how it is. Um, and then on my way home today from working at the float center, my car died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and we had to, to tow it uh, to our to our place, um, which, by the way, apparently our cars only die when I'm on my way home to record a podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fun. But it, I honestly, for me, it was just a reminder that, yeah, this is life like you're you will not have things dialed in. It's about how your attitude is going to be during these times. How are you going to behave around your wife and around your daughter when stresses are coming coming forward and how are you going to handle it? So at least for me, that's that's what I got out of it. About That's what I got out of my car dying uh, today. So yeah, that's uh, that was my week and, and day. And uh, also still really excited about getting the baby room dialed in and everything. Next week, we're having mm-hmm. a baby shower, which was delayed. Usually, they happen earlier. But it's like three or four weeks here away from, from meeting my little girl in person. So very exciting. Uh, very, very exciting. Um, although we do still have the white tarp going through the baby room at the moment. So we can't actually get it completely dialed because they're still doing mold remediation. So uh, just one more reminder that life will always be in transition. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I am so excited to introduce Wallace J. Nichols on the show. And I'm going to in just one moment. First, I just want to give a shout out to Helm, Float Helm the scheduling software that we use at the float shop. Well, actually at the float shop, we do a combination of mind body and float helm. I know Lance is switching over to helm and I actually don't know that there's a reason for the float shop to be um, only using uh, or excuse me, using helm and mind body anymore. I think we can actually 
officially transition over to Helm, which is something Sanders has been wanting to do for some time. So that'd be really nice. Uh, one thing I just wanted to point out about uh, Helm is that because it is so many things, uh, it you know it's scheduling software for your clients, it's punch in, punch out, and scheduling of your employees. It also tracks all of your readings. So uh, whether it's the State Department coming in, or excuse me, Health Department coming in, or just wanting to track your own numbers, you can see the hydrogen peroxide levels, you can check the water levels, you can see the temperature uh, day in, day out of, of how your different float tanks behave, different amounts that you need to add to them. It's all logged in there, and as long as you're doing it correctly or training your employees correctly, you have, we now have four years worth of material, of, of data in our, in our records. So that alone is very valuable. And you know, yeah, you could type it into an Excel spreadsheet. Sure. But this is just the UIs built right in. Everything's super, super easy. Uh, floathelm.com is where you want to go to check them out. And that's something we're, we're fully, fully behind and, and big fans of here at the float shop. Welcome Wallace J. Nichols to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Really good to be chatting with y'all. Awesome. And I know you like to go by Jay, so that's what we'll be calling you for the rest of the show here. Um, that's good, because then, I'll, then I'll, I'll answer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we've got a great flow already. This is perfect. We'll be talking, other people will be responding. Oh, good. So I want to I wanna hear about your history, uh, about where you came from and all that. But first, I just want to let people know who, who you are. Actually, even better yet, I would like you to tell everybody who you are. <laughs> well, um, my name is Jay. I live in California, and I love water. I guess that's probably the short version. But um, my background is in in marine biology and ocean conservation, and um, I guess exploration. And I've become more and more interested in how people connect with water in general. Uh, but for a very long time, I studied sea turtles and their uh, their migrations and the things they do, uh, what they eat, how fast they grow, uh, you know, their genetics, um, just about anything you can imagine studying about a sea turtle. I, I probably, probably have. And what the most, one of the most interesting things about studying turtles was, uh, seeing how people respond to them in different ways huh. and in different contexts, whether it's in the water snorkeling or walking on the beach at night. Uh, watching a big mama turtle lay her eggs or releasing baby turtle hatchlings into the ocean. And, uh, and as scientists, we never really talked about that part. We talked about the turtle DNA and we talked about what they ate. And we talked about the things that were threatening them and how long they lived and how fast they grew and mm -hmm. population models and you name it. But we didn't really talk about, uh, the the psychology of the turtle experience and so I started paying more attention to how people respond to the sea turtles and not just the sea turtles themselves and there wasn't a lot of support for that because mm -hmm. you know biologists study biology uh, not human behavior necessarily uh -huh. even though that turns out that's biology too so i started crossing over to the other parts of campus and speaking with uh, psychologists hmm. and neuroscientists and asking them, what do you think of sea turtles? What do you think of the ocean? And they were stumped. They hadn't thought about sea turtles in the ocean much. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is, there's got to be a book uh, about 
our brains on water. There's got to be a book that fills this gap. And uh, I went looking for that book and couldn't find it. And uh, I thought maybe it, it was out of print or written in German. Uh, or <laughs> and, <laughs> and I still didn't find it. And then I, so I realized it hadn't been written. Uh, and I tried to convince some other people maybe they should write it. And I was oh, not successful. Mm-hmm. So uh, third, third choice was to write it myself. And, it, and I think everybody listening probably has had that moment where you want something to exist, but it doesn't. So you build it. Uh, nice, uh, probably nice. everybody who has a, f- a float center exactly. um, has done, it, done that in some way. Um, so I wanted to read this book about our brain on water, but it hadn't been written. The Germans uh, hadn't gotten around, gotten around to it. Around to it. Uh, no, so they're famous. I, <laughs> I had to, I had to write it, and that cool. took cool. about five years, and and, wow. and that's kind of how I got into this this blue mind conversation. That's the name of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which actually, I guess, is a great point to introduce your book here. It, it is Blue Mind. It's um, you actually spoke at the float conference. Was it three years ago now, or was it? Was I think it, two two was, two was, com- two conferences two. ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Well, I know you have floated, and it's in your book that you floated. I wouldn't call you uh, an industry insider in the float industry, uh, yet you moved a lot of people and got people very excited about water at the float conference, which right. is really cool. And uh, Blue Mind is about water, your brain on water, Blue, blue Mind, uh, as opposed to Red Mind, as, as you oftentimes refer to it as, the, the, the busy nature that we're in all the time. And I mean, of course, there's a correlation there with float tanks because obviously there's, there's water in a float tank and also the, the stepping away from all, all of that red mind busyness. I personally think that this is a great book to have in your float studio, in your float centers, just because while it's not all very specific about floating, it's about a very important aspect of the float experience and uh, just brings people back to that thing that we're looking for that I think a lot of people are looking for as they walk into the float center doors in the first place. And may I say that a lot of people who come to float, uh, one of the things that may attract them, even though they're not really sure about what this whole floating thing is about, they know that there's water involved mm-hmm. and they know that they're floating in water. And that's one of those things that so many people, we and you even mentioned this book, we gravitate towards water if you know and so the float tank seems like especially for a landlocked state like like tennessee uh it seems like the perfect solution when we can't go out in the rivers uh in the summertime wow there's still an opportunity to go and experience that all over again in a float tank um so you you wrote a book that i I love water um i've been kayaking since i was young i've been uh, i love going to the ocean i love all that and so this book really really touches me on so many levels. I I identify so strongly Mm -hmm. with it. Um, And I I think you've uh, done that so successfully with your book with a lot of people. That's, you know, that's the the feedback that I've gotten is um, there. It's surprising how many people feel like they, they, they have felt like they were the only one who feels the way you just described. Interesting. Uh, And they, they reach out and they say, I read your book and I realized I'm not alone. Uh, and it's that surprised me. I, I didn't realize that many people, water people, would feel that alone about it and not be able to put it into words uh, and not be able to explain it to their friends and family necessarily. And it turns out there are a lot of us out there who 
who really enjoy just slipping into the water, gliding along it, floating in it, getting under it, whatever we can, as just part of um, a good day or a, a good week. Right. And uh, in this, I mean, I think the the book has connected some people to each other, um, including connected me to the, the float community hmm. uh, to advance our, our mutual conversation uh, around uh, human health and environmental health. Yeah. What you did is you took um, you took the research to show, I think what we all knew innately is that mm. water is very, very powerful. And you found the research or a lot of the research and, and not just research, but programs and anecdotal uh, situations that, that kind of back that up and it feels really good. How difficult was it to come across this research uh, that, you know, like you mentioned, there's not a whole lot of talk about people and the brain on water. Was it a difficult process? It was, it was challenging. There was a, um, you know, I'd say three years ago, three or four years ago, while I was writing it before the book came out, there, there was a lot less research. So there, you know, there's, there have been many advances than, and some of the folks who've contributed to those advances have been on your podcast and who have given, they've given keynotes at, at the float conference, people like Justin Feinstein and, and his, his team. And the, uh, so the, the research is advancing, but you know, three, four years ago, there was a lot of dot connecting. So if you're, for example, if you were interested in the brain on the sound of water, you would find very little specifically on that question. But what you would find is a ton of research about your brain on music. Hmm. And so if you go into that literature and figure, okay, what about that is relevant to, to the sound of water? Well, rhythm. So the sound of surf, the waves, puts me to sleep right here every night. And I love it. What is it about rhythm? Well, it turns out there's some research on rhythm in the brain. So there, there's a dot. That, so I grabbed those dots wherever I found them and just kind of threw them on my, on, you know, on my wall. <laughs> and they start connecting those dots. And pretty soon they start getting closer to your question, even though they're not right on the nose. They're not right on, on top of your question. So it's a lot of dot connecting, triangulation, whatever you want to call it. Right. And then you set that up and then people go, wow, that's a cool thesis project. I want to... I want to spend my life chasing down that huh. that question that you almost answered, uh, and so you you generate more questions than answers, which is, you know, I set out to answer a question. I probably uh, caused a thousand questions instead of you know <laughs> rather than answers. So, yeah, that's that's the process. And as a scientist, that's that's what you do. You you mostly ask you ask more questions right. than you answer. Very Whether cool, it's right. sea turtles or brain on water or whatever the, the theme is, yeah. And something uh, Amy brought up was the idea that it's uh, something that we all innately know already. And that's what I felt like so much of Blue Mind was, was putting, connecting, as you said, connecting the dots between something that we instinctively know already and how do we actually... How's that manifested in how in our behaviors and the research behind it as well? Like property values, you know, near water, um, being near a water fountain in general, being or, or looking at pictures with um, nature or water in them as being even I think man-made fountains in a photo being more pleasant than than you know a, a pretty pretty building. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think the book um, 
you know, people read it and they feel like it's a book about them <laughs> if they're water people. And they read it and it makes them feel kind of smart. And so that was that was the goal. It's like I want the book to I want I want the book to feel like it was written for you and I want it to make you feel really good and make you feel really smart because you knew you knew all this stuff. Mm. You knew it already. You may, you may never have even noticed that you knew it, mm-hmm. but you knew it and you've been living it. And I just gave it a name and I just put some words on it and I just connected some dots and now here you know we call it a book, but you knew this stuff. And at, you know, if it does its job, it nudges you towards mm-hmm. those things you know and love. It nudges you to go, you know what? I haven't floated for a while. I, I got I to gotta sign up for my, for my next appointment. Or I got I to gotta sign up for a whole bunch. Or I got to get out on the river and get my kayak wet. Uh, I got to jump off a diving board. I haven't done that in a while. Yeah. I think I need to. And nice. that's the goal. Yeah. Nice. You know, one thing you talked about in your book was creating uh, uh, an emotional connection to water and really focusing on that. Because I know you're very much into um, conservation and protecting our water, but I believe you mentioned that, you know, just going out and showing the the oil spilled in the water was not that effective. But when you can create this emotional attachment, when you can create this emotional association, um, that it's it's almost you're, you're set, you're set up to want to protect mm. this thing that you now love. Mm-hmm. I, uh, and I think that for me was super, super, um, powerful. Uh, that was a super powerful thing about the book is, yeah, I looked at water in a new way and my entire life has been, of course, we hear about conservation of water. We hear about the horrible things that have been happening, but, um, it really, uh, forced me to look at it a different way and, and really made me feel more protective and, and emotional about that well, experience. You, you use the you use the key word, which is love. And uh, I think environmental communication often uses fear, guilt, and relentless facts to try to motivate people uh, rather than love. And love works better. Uh, I know there's no fear works, but it's a short sprint. Uh, it's not a sustainable builder of of movements, uh, but love love is what what changes the world and what movements are built on built on. Uh, and so that you know, you use the word love of water, and that's that's it. But we're afraid to say that as scientists and as you know, quote unquote, serious people, um, at least in public, you know, from the podium, from the front of the room, from you know, the front of the lecture hall, you really don't talk about things like love and happiness, uh, and yet. You know, Subaru sells cars with love, the word love, and McDonald's sells French fries with the word love, and Coke, Coca-Cola sells sugar water with the word happiness. Um, and there's they're 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 smart marketers, and they know that fear, guilt, and facts will sell fewer French fries and fewer cars. Uh, so they don't do that. It's and they're they're smart. So. We need to, I'm not saying we need to hide the facts, of course, or occasionally, and sometimes it's scary, we need to talk about it. But that's, um, that can't be our only, those can't be our only tools uh, for motivating people to take, take care of our, our, our little water planet. Uh, falling in love uh, with the way you feel when you're in, you know, on or near the water and, t- and talking about it, naming it and talking about it. Uh, you know, I'm Dylan. I'm so excited about your your daughter 
And uh, I, I, I think, you know, your job in part is, is to help her fall in love with water in a thousand ways. So when she leaves your home to go on and explore the world, she's got that. And that may be one of the greatest gifts you can give her oh, wow. is, is that, that sense of, um, of competence in water uh-huh. and love for water so she can explore the blue parts of the planet, with it, which are three quarters of the planet, which is a, a lot of space, a lot of blue space to explore. So You have two daughters, is that right? I do. I have two daughters and they both, they both love water. Yeah, um, so how, how have you? Let me break out the note. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I think it starts, so it starts at birth. I mean, if you have the, uh, water birthing as an option uh, or, you know, water labor as an option, mm-hmm. uh, check that box, mm-hmm. uh, do, do that. Um, and then from then on, you know, infant baby swimming, uh, just, you know, day one, if you can, you know, I mean, maybe I'm, that's an exaggeration, but, uh, but, the, you know, do it, do it, do it safely um, with, you know, competent, um, you know, baby swim coach and Mm. just straight away in the water and, uh, you know, and your, your daughter will be, uh, a good swimmer by the time she's two or three, maybe even before she walks and then go from there. Uh, there's, you know, just keep, keep at it. And I think the, the other thing from, from a parent, uh, perspective is, or a teacher perspective is talk about it. Talk about, wow, getting in the bath makes me happy. Getting in the bath helps me relax. Mm. Getting in the bath stimulates my thinking in a different way. And that will extend to getting in, in a float tank, getting in a river, uh, getting in a pool, getting in the ocean. Uh, we don't talk about that very well. We, we teach kids to swim. It's a sport. It's a rec- recreational mm. activity. But we don't add the language, the blue mind language around it. Uh, so that, you know, our citizens should realize that water is medicine. Uh, when you're a kid and when you're a young adult, all the way through the end of life, water is medicine. Uh, and it's, it's there for you. So um, as parents, as educators, as, as leaders, uh, as friends, uh, as employers, uh, those, that's the language we should be using. Uh, and I think it just... It, it fits perfectly with the broader conversation about uh, float centers because, you know, a, f- a float center in your community is medicine. Uh, a float center in your locker room is medicine for your sports team. A uh, float center in your hospital obviously is, is medicine. Uh, you could have a, a float tank at, at your school uh, for kids that are that need it. Um, so that, you know, the broad vision of, of getting in water and relaxing uh, not just swimming laps relentlessly and, you know, in, in, a, in a stinky giant, uh, you know, swim, swimming pool. Um, not all swimming pools are stinky and giant. <laughs> as, we, <laughs> as we go in, I remember from my childhood, you know, the overchlorinated uh, oh, yeah. experience. And um, so swimming shouldn't be torture. It should be, it should be therapy. And, uh, and so anyhow, that's, that's how you start connecting the dots here. And, um, and hopefully people, as a result, revalue and re- reappreciate the wild water. Uh, they look at a river and say, 
I really like getting in there. I really like floating down the river. Um, and that's, that's a key piece of this conversation. So something you had mentioned is the idea that uh, certain people are finding they're not alone. When you said that, I found it really interesting because I feel in the float center, I find so many water people, right? It's a very, it, it's, it's not objective at all. People are gravitated towards this. <clears throat> are we all water people? And, and maybe we don't know it or we haven't been exposed enough. And I, I just want to expand on what Dylan says and sort of our evolution. Our people that are, you know, generations, they've been mainland. Are they different than people that have been, you know, right on the coast or right <laughs> with the water? You know, I, I, find, I find everywhere I go and speak about Blue Mine, uh, well, of, you know, of course, the people who show up to listen are, you know, self-selecting. Uh, group that says, oh, this this could be interesting. So, you know, tomorrow in Nashville at, at the pool conference, uh, you know, this week, um, that's a self-selecting group of people who love po the pool industry. Uh, so uh, it's not, you know, it's not a random sample, but I, right. I do speak, I do speak to groups that aren't necessarily uh, water people. And, and I find that if you ask the question, simple question, what is your water? question mark and then you don't say anything else and you listen uh everybody has an answer and th their water has a name and uh it may be the ohio river uh it may be the pacific ocean it may be um you know a float spa it may be uh some i've heard people say the water in my food hmm. um you know maybe a swimming pool maybe another special place from from last week or their childhood. Mm. And that's how I usually begin um, my, my, my talks is with, with a, a set of questions about the people in the room. And I usually ask them to talk to each other about it. And, and I always find it to be extremely rich, a really rich, uh, beautiful, poetic conversation when you ask people, what's your water? And let it seems like a, it's a simple question, but it, it's one they haven't been asked before. And then we get deeper into it. So, you know, when did you fall in love with water? Hmm. How old were you? Who were you with? Uh, who was your guide? Uh, again, what was the name of that waterway? And, and it could be, you know, the name of that water could be my bathtub. Right. And, uh, and you know, the, the guide was mom or dad. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and everybody's got, got their water story. So, if you if you take it out of the you know ocean versus mountains you know coastal versus inland uh, wet versus dry kind of kind of dichotomies green versus blue and just say you know tell me about your water you'll find um, it's a it's a rare person that says wow I I don't know and I I hate water right uh, right I, you know it's like very very rare not to say that there aren't aren't people who feel that way but it's a minority. And so that's a, a starting point. Of, um, I'm, I look for the ways to unite people rather than divide. I know this is a sort of a very divisive season that we're in, mm. and people seem to be looking for ways to, to argue, you know, go out of their way to find way, things to argue about. Uh, I find water brings us together. Mm. Uh, you, you know, you take off your clothes, put on a swimsuit, and get in the water together, and you don't know <laughs> who, you know, what people have, who they are. They're just like semi-naked, uh, you know, 
hairless apes and you know we were in the water together and it's a uniting a uniting sort of thing uh so that's where i usually go with 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 the conversation as as, as universal as possible um but to that point uh, if you st- so uh, here's a suggestion poke around the internet or you can go to my website and just search for uh water displays and i have a little blog entry there um, water displays and look at all the animals that love water. Hmm. They love stomping around in water, doing flips into water, playing in water, uh, duck, duck diving uh, waves, elephants in the ocean, chimps in the waterfall, dogs in the pool. Um, it goes, the list of pigs, swimming pigs, goes on and on. And we just watch those little YouTube videos that I've collected. And, you know, they're all mammals and they all love water. And you decide whether they're having fun, uh, whether they're happy or not. I mean, I'm not going to interpret animal emotions based on a bunch of YouTube videos, but you decide uh, what you think. Um, if it's just, you know, if they're just scratching their back, you know, by getting in the water or trying to get the flies off, right. or just straight up having a blast in the water. And uh, I think it's the latter. But you know, check that out. And what's what's your website? Uh, it's my name, Wallace J. Nichols, all lowercase, no punctuation, dot org. Perfect. Wallace J. Nichols dot org. And then if you search for water displays, that's the blog entry that'll pop up. Awesome. Thank you. And going back to Lance's question about people living on the shore or 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 not on the shore, you know, landlocked, there I feel like there was some research that you had just about uh, not not specifically to answer his question, but just about uh, happiness levels and how calm you are at like, like, as you described, falling asleep to the, the sound of the ocean every night. Um, yeah. Some of the, the best research on, on blue mind or blue space has been done, uh, by the university of Exeter medical school. And they put together an interdisciplinary team, uh, including neuroscientists, psychologists, statisticians, uh, toxicologists, marine biologists, uh, geographers, sociologists, and I can go on. Um, but, amazing team and they're they're studying this stuff and they're looking at how you know does does living by the coast make us healthier does it make us happier uh and it turns out yes it does it's it's not um you know an enormous difference it's but it's statistically significant and if you if you carry it through a um a, a whole nation it's very important so it's a um more happiness, more health if you live near water. Uh, so, you know, you unpack that and you go, okay, why would that be the case? Well, mm-hmm. maybe people stop and, and watch the sunset a little more often or the sunrise. Uh, maybe their outdoor activities are, are more frequent because there's a waterway, uh, a riverfront trail or a beach to go to and, and just move more. Um, maybe they swim more because there's, there's water. Uh, maybe, you know, they'll go with, with their, their loved ones and spend time unplugged outside, uh, moving, you know, in nature more often. And that brings us closer together with the people we go with. Um, maybe they have a better place to go to mourn and to grieve when they need to do that, uh, or to think big thoughts, uh, or to get creative. And those things are all true about, um, being near the water uh, and so that that's those studies also looked at people who moved away from the water and tracked them, and people who moved 
uh, from drier places to the coast. And that's what makes the study so robust is that they, they were able to see the differences uh, among people um, over a long period of time because it's, it's the UK and they have this great health data that they can mine for, for this kind of stuff. They also found that in non-urban areas, kids near the water had lower obesity rates, meaning they were more active, oh. uh, more, more physically active. And perhaps that's, that seems to be the case. Uh, and interestingly, in urban areas, maybe that, that uh, difference is less pronounced, which means in urban areas, sometimes you don't, you, know, you can be really close to the water, but never really see the water. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, so in San Francisco and LA and Oakland, huh. uh, you know, there are a lot of kids who have never been to the ocean and it's just a few miles away. Uh, they, they, uh, you know, they stay in the box basically. Uh, and so that's an interesting finding as well that, uh, just because the ocean is there, uh, just because the lakes and the rivers are there, it doesn't mean it just works magically on its own. Uh, you need a guide. You need somebody to say, Hey, uh, take my hand. Uh, let's go to the water. Let's go to the coast. Oh, let's go to the oh. beach and develop those habits, you know, back to the importance of parents and teachers and guides of all kinds to, to say, hey, let's, let's go check this out uh, and make this part of our, our routine. Yeah, that's, that's ringing loud and clear for me uh, as you're talking. That's certainly what <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm thinking about. And, and I'm also thinking about how you were my guide of, I mean, it's increasing my awareness about water. And so when I'm reading this book, if I'm out camping, I'm finding instead of staying at the campsite reading, why don't I go put my chair in the water and read? Perfect. You know? yeah. um, or take a break from the book altogether. Yeah, <laughs> yeah close the book. <laughs> um, I, I literally, yeah. I found that my ad- attraction to water increase uh, because of reading your book and, and of course, appreciation, which I also think, sorry, go ahead, can you, sorry. can you write that down as a, as a blurb for my next book? <laughs> I'm just going to quote you directly on the cover of, of my next book. Cause that's, that's about it. That's it right there. That was the goal. And, mm. and thank you for that, uh, that testimony. It's, it's, that was the goal of the book. Yeah. Sorry. I cut well, you sir, off. No, uh, mission accomplished. <laughs> and, and if I can keep, keep going on that, I just want to say like, it goes right back to what Amy was talking and what both of you were talking about, which is the love of it being more powerful. Like if you're, you're practicing the, a presence towards water, when you increase your awareness on that, you're increasing your appreciation for it. And there's just more attention to want to be sure that you are near that or experience that. And then of course the, the idea of preservation, um, or man, manifesting it, creating it, uh, however you, sorry, my vocabulary, I'm, I'm losing <laughs> a little bit, but, uh, the, the priority for that is going to increase as well. It, it just all flows together like water. It's incredible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I think in, you know, in a, so in a, in a city like Portland, mm. um, so just ask yourself, when's the last time you swam across the river? The Willamette, downtown Portland. Like when and if it maybe the answer is never. Yeah, that's a big uh, zero. There's a group of people who get together and you know in the good weather months, hmm. and they meet every Wednesday, and they swim across the river and back together. And they're not a bunch of jocks. They're just a bunch mm-hmm. of water lovers. That's and they awesome. take care. They take care of each other. Wetsuits, whatever you need hmm. to to be comfortable. Huh. It's not a race. It's and they do it right underneath. There's a there's a major commuter bridge. And they want everybody that Wednesday morning who's commuting to work to see them swimming. Oh, interesting. And, and it's just a statement that says, yep, we're in, the, we're in the river. Yep, it's okay. 
Yep, we're alive. <laughs> yep, we're not getting sick, and we're 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 right. changing people's impression of of this river just by just by doing that. And uh, and even walking around town in in Portland, uh, there's water everywhere. Not yeah. just when it's raining, but it's yeah. they're great public fountains. <laughs> the uh, all all the all the bubblers, and you can sit at the fountain and and. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a great conversation with someone um, and have it be private. And that's another, mm-hmm. you know, another theme oh, that connects really, really nicely with, uh, with the float community is uh, increasingly our lives are less private uh, in, in many ways. So we're, you know, monitored and there are cam- cameras and our phones are tracking everything and you click on something and it, it leaves a, a digital footprint mm-hmm. or a trail of crumbs uh, but in the water, uh, you know, you spoke earlier that, you know, water and electronics are not good friends. Um, you know, that when you describe the, the pump, you know, there's the water end and then there's the, <laughs> right. the electrical end and they should not be in touch at all, uh, even though they're they're connected. It's the same thing with electronics. You you don't want to bring your phone in, in the tank generally and it's you know, just ch- turn it off, leave it outside. For more ways, for more reasons than one, mm-hmm. uh, and I think increasingly the, the blue spaces are the places we the only the last places we can go and be and have privacy uh, and be just disconnected in a way, uh, but also reconnected to everything. You know, as you as you drift uh, away from from society, uh, whether it's in a in a, you know a float tank or or down a river, or out out in the ocean, uh, it's it's kind of the last place to go, uh, and really disconnect, uh, and um, and not you know really be out of out of any kind of monitoring. Uh, so that's that's valuable. It's really valuable for our sanity, uh, for our creativity, for society, for our communities, uh, for our families. Just to you know get out on the water and and disconnect. So. Um, that's a service that's provided by your river as well as your your local float spa. You know, <laughs> privacy. Yeah. Now, I was just going to ask: is there is there certain ways we should be treating the water that we use throughout our float center? Is all water the same? Um, yeah, that that's my biggest thing. Like, should we be like filtering or treating water? And I've seen things out there of like the spiral effect of putting your water through these tornado type things. Does that make a difference? Like, yeah, I you know, there's a there's a lot of um, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there about water. <laughs> I guess that's the best way to put it. Uh, uh, I you know, I don't necessarily study that aspect. Mm. So I, I don't want to I don't want to um, get you know over my head so to speak but and I don't want to diss anything that shouldn't be dissed but uh, there's there's some there's some stuff out there that's better poetry than science yeah. and that's not to say that it it isn't uh, right at the cutting edge um, so that's my that's my sort of careful careful way of um, uh, if you want to talk to your water and say nice things to it by all means. You should talk to your water. If you want to spin it and that feels good, you know, <laughs> twirl it around and, and get it, get it in the tank after you twirl it and, you know, tell your water, tell your, tell your water you love it. And I, I, here's what I do know. When you talk to your water and you say nice things and it makes you feel good, 
that's awesome. You should do that. Right. I'm not sure if it changes the molecular structure of the water, but it does change the neurochemistry of your brain Perfect. When, when you tell water that it's, it's, a, it's beautiful. And so do it. I, I believe there was some research in the 90s where people would talk and sing to water and say bad things to water, and they would photograph the, um, I believe, the right. ice crystals. Yeah, I Dr. Emoto yeah. wrote a book about it and uh, hasn't been, the research hasn't <laughs> been, been repeated. Okay. So uh, it's, that's I, an example of, of beautiful poetry. And, uh, and um, if we could talk to water and fix, fix it all, I, we wouldn't be talking to each other right now. We would, mm-hmm. we would be out on the beach talking to the oh. ocean. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of, the, kind of maybe the, the suggestion there. But... Uh, yeah, I you know I and I, there's a there's some I don't knows. I mean, really, uh, truly, mm-hmm. my focus is on how does water make us feel, and how does that make us live better, mm-hmm. and in turn revalue water itself. Uh, and I think part of the the problem is we have undervalued water for for many reasons. We've taken it for granted, and in doing so, we've uh, wrecked it in many cases, whether it's our, our lakes, our rivers, our ocean, our, our aquifers. Uh, and part of what I, I hope Blue Mind does is, is help, help us to correctly value, uh, revere uh, our water for, for all that it is. Uh, and when we, when we treat water as uh, an ecological uh, and an economic commodity only, and we forget about the emotional aspect, you know, the cognitive, emotional, psychological, social, and spiritual benefits, which we usually leave out uh, in, in the environmental sciences. We don't discuss that. Uh, then we undervalue water. And uh, when it's undervalued, bad things happen. And we're, we're living in that moment right now. Uh, we're cleaning up the rivers for a reason because uh, we trash them. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't need to clean them up. We just go say, "Wow, that's a beautiful, pristine river." Uh, but the rivers that run through our cities are, um, in around the world, are in, are in bad shape and in need fixing. Um, and so that's part of the part of the agenda. And it's my hope that when people get done with a float, they're just so in love with themselves, uh, the people around them, and the planet they live on that they'll say, "You know, I want to also be part of." Um, making sure the water around me in my community is healthy so that I can, on a summer day, I can go float down the river or float on the lake uh, and, and can, you know, live a, um, what I call is a, a blue mind life, hmm. uh, which is, mm-hmm. you know, sort of end to end, day to day, aware of and living um, compatibly with, with the water around you and doing all of the things that make you happy uh, near in on and underwater uh indoors outdoors and you know in your backyard and around the world and uh, it's a good way to live you know it would seem to me that after someone gets out of a float tank like you said they're probably a little bit more in love with water than they were to start and to me um it brings to mind that a great way to keep that going would be uh utilizing the tools that you put out put forth in your blue marbles project could you explain a little bit more about that? Because I can see that being a beautiful way to celebrate a float and to yeah. keep the love going. 
so kind of kind of along the same lines of you know noticing that uh, our our movement was using fear and guilt uh, and and facts kind of as their main tools, uh, but not gratitude. Uh, and I I thought, well, how can we bring more gratitude in? Because there's, there's a lot of people doing amazing things that uh, need to be recognized in just to, even in small ways, you know, not big awards, just little little simple gestures. And I decided at a lecture I was giving in Boston. Uh, to hand out blue marbles to everybody uh, on the way in. And it worked so well that one time that I just kept doing it. And uh, six years later, uh, we've given out a, a, over a million blue marbles. Wow. And if you get one, uh, and anybody can give them out. I'm not the only one giving them out. Uh, you could give them out at your, at your float center, at your float spa. It's, if you get one, it's just a reminder that you are made of water and you live on a water planet. And it's a, a little gesture of gratitude for the things you do uh, to make life good. And um, it's a symbol you know, of, of peace. Uh, and it's a symbol of water. And you're, if you get one, you're asked to pass it on eventually. Uh, that could be that day. It could be 10 years. But at some point, just pass it on. Pass on that same gesture. Embellish it with, with whatever you feel like adding to the story. Um, and share and share the story, and so now these these million marbles are they're quite lovely little glass recycled glass marbles. Uh, and after so, by the way, after I'm in Nashville, I'm going to drive to West Virginia to the marble factory uh, where they're made. Oh, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Marble King, shout out to Marble King. They nice. make the beautiful blue marbles. And, uh, and you have those marbles available, right? Yes, yeah. On your website? Yeah, you can get them on the website. You can, you can use any blue marble you want. Uh, this is not a, uh, uh, a marble sale pitch. <laughs> right, right. But you do make it easy make for it, us yeah, to do that. We make it easy, <laughs> and we, we give out little cards that go with yeah. them so you remember, oh, why, why do I have a blue marble? Mm. Uh, it tells the story there. And, um, and anybody who wants to, if you want to, you know, a bucket of blue marbles at your, at your spa, uh, to give people after they, after they float and put your logo on the card, hmm. uh, get in touch and we'll, we'll set you up. It's a, it's a really nice gesture. They're really, I mean, they're, they're recycled glass. This, it's a simple thing, but it's beautiful. And it, people find them the next day, they pull it out of their pocket and they go, Oh yeah, that's, that's cool, and I, and I'm supposed to pass this on. And nice. uh, each marble, each marble has a story uh, that connects people to each other. And you know, in theory, they're all they're all in motion. Although I have heard from people like, oh, I haven't given my marble away. It's right there, you know, on my desk, and uh, I'm I'm holding on to it for a while. A lot of That's inertia. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, well, you can sign me up for that. I'll be in contact. How, did, how yeah, does how does everybody else get in contact with you? Uh, you can just go to my website. Um, this is just my name, wallacejnichols.org, and uh, click around <laughs> for a while. You'll, you'll, find, you'll find it. It's a, it's a pretty simple website. Or you can, you know, if you look up Blue Marbles Project, uh, it'll get you to, to more information. It's, uh, cool. it's all, I, you know, my internet strategy, which is something that, that we've talked about a little bit, is uh, I, treat, I treat the whole internet kind of as as my website and I, I really don't care if if, uh, if I get a lot of web visits as long as the information is going out 
So if if um, you know information about Blue Mind is on your website, that's awesome. And I don't care if anybody goes to mine if they can find it on your website. Uh, and so that's sort of the way I've always treated. Um, I don't even know if you call it a strategy. It's more of a, a give it away strategy and get the ideas out, spread in as many places as possible. Can I, can yeah. you, I know this is stepping a little bit away from floating and from water, but as a, as a, I don't even want to say as a business, but just as a social media presence, I am amazed daily by your social media feed. A, I don't know if you're just all over the country all the time. I don't know if you have a queue. I don't know how the hell you do this because I, I cannot. Well, I shouldn't say I cannot, but I do not. My media feed looks nothing like yours, and it's, it's brilliant. It's amazing. And how the heck do you do it? How how do you keep such engaging, interesting posts coming daily, multiple times a day? Yeah, on the I, I, I just I don't overthink it. Um, I use, I use all the tools available. Um, you know, my, you know, I connect my social media to its, to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes I'll schedule posts when I've got the time. Uh, but also I, I treat social media as, um, my notebook that I'm sharing. So when I'm researching a topic, uh, instead of, I used to jot things down on little pieces of paper and stick them in my pocket. Uh, and then have to deal with little pieces of paper and transcribe them. Uh, so now Twitter is my little pieces of paper in my pocket, except I share them with with the world. And so if I'm thinking something, I'll do you know voice to text and I'll I'll tweet it. Uh, uh, so you know I I did I'm gonna, I was about to say something about Donald Trump and I won't um, <laughs> I won't go there. Uh, but the uh, but you know, I, I don't overthink it. I it, it's not uh, it's not edited or, or filtered, really. And I and I treat I treat social media as kind of a, an open notebook. And then I go back to it, and I'll, I'll export my entire tweet feed, uh, tweet stream, whatever they call it, sure. and and use that document uh, as a, a research document. Um, wow. And it's it's searchable, and it's and so when I'll write I'll write an article, I'll. I'll use you know my uh, my tweets as a as a, um, a resource. Uh, so wow. there's some method to the madness. I also I'm one of eleven kids in my my brothers and sisters, uh, meaning we've got you know I've, I've an adopted father father and mothers. Uh, my wife is also adopted. We've got a, a family hedge, and so social media is an also a very efficient way to oh for my family to stay connected. Uh -huh. <laughs> so there's that, there's that personal aspect to it as well. Sometimes I'm thinking, gosh, this guy's all about nature, being out in nature, yet I'm seeing his digital feed 24 seven here. <laughs> so you've got it yeah. dialed enough that it's not disconnecting you. You yeah. leave a note and you're, you're back to surfing with your friends. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll, if I, if, if I'm going for a swim, I, you know, I'll just say, I'm, I'll tweet that I'm going for a swim Yeah. and then the phone's gone and it's, I'm off. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, you know, and, and there's, you know, there's some other people involved I'm not, I'm not taking all the, mm. all of the, the credit for all the output, but, you know, I, I'll share a few, we have several different social media accounts, uh, and I'll share access to the team, you mm. know, for, on some of them. So there's sort of retweeting and that kind of stuff going on, but, sure. um, yeah, it's, it's no, no big secret there. Yeah. By the way, uh, what is your Twitter? Uh, 
same as my website, Wallace J. Nichols. Um, and it's the same as Instagram and, and Facebook. Uh, if you just put that string of letters, uh, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, the letter J, and then N-I-C-H-O-L-S. And that's, that's my website, my email address, uh, my Twitter, my Instagram, and all the other ones. <laughs> all the same. And obviously, I encourage our listeners to to follow him. It's it's uh, entertaining and fulfilling. Um, I uh, I just brought up surfing, which actually just reminded me of Dr. Ricardo. I think it's uh, Gilda Costa. He spoke at this year's float conference, and I believe he mentioned to me that you had has have you two spoken before. Yeah, we did a okay. while back. Okay. But, a while back. Yeah. So, so he is um, trying to get live. Well, I, I want to say try, but he is getting live readouts of yes. people's brainwaves while they are in different states. One of them right. has been surfing, and another yeah. of them has been floating, which is what he's yeah. talking about at the float conference, which was yeah. so cool. Um, and I can only imagine that had a special amount of cool for you. It touched a special Absolutely. place. Absolutely. Can you yeah. talk to me about that? So that, you know, that the technology is now opening up the possibilities of, you know, literally, look, you know, using EEG technology in a, in a, in a float tank, uh, in a pool on, you know, on a surfboard, um, you know, the, the waterproof, um, nodes, and then they're wireless, which is just sort of, you know, huge really from a, from a research perspective. And, and so that's very recent. That's just literally this past year. Um, but what, what we're finding out is that this, this blue mind, uh, thing that, that we describe that we feel when we're watching a sunset over the water or, um, waiting on a wave in particular waiting, uh, hmm. but it, it, but if you have a real high level of competence, it could be when you're literally in a barrel of a wave, uh, where that's not a stressful thing. It's just hmm. absolute bliss. Um, and that's, that's the key thing. So the water when the water is where you want it to be <laughs> and you're prepared, it's that's different than say, you know, water dripping on your head in your bed while you're trying to sleep because <laughs> you know, those are a, a leaky pipe or something uh, sure, or a big sure. wave, you know, in your living room uh, right, right. that, you know, it's, but it's water where you want it when you want it there. Uh, it puts us into, into this flow state or, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of words to describe it. And um, it's, uh, it's great that this, Research is happening uh, both here, obviously, in, you know, in the U.S. Uh, with Justin in, in Tulsa. Uh, he's got, you know, an amazing setup there. If you ever get a chance to float uh, at his, his research center in Tulsa um, and also, you know, across the pond in, in the U.K. Uh, at the University of Exeter. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm working on the, the sequel to Blue Mind, which will bring in some of this the updated research and um, frame it in a, in a kind of a different way that sort of, we talked a little bit about the blue mind life. Uh, the, um, the subtitle, but the book, the next book is called go deeper, uh, which I think all, all floaters will, will enjoy uh, the next book. And the subtitle is the seven ages of water. And basically I, I walk through uh, a human life cycle from birth to death mm. Uh, and describe how our relationship with water uh, evolves, deepens, and layers layers on itself. And so a, a life done well uh, has uh, a lot of water going on. 
uh, at each at each age. And I could run through those ages if you want, if that's that's of interest. But uh, yeah, pl- yeah, please do. Please I mean, do. I mean, yeah, please, please, yeah, please, please, please do. Please do. <laughs> uh, so, well, birth birth is the first one, uh, and there there is this thing called water birth. If you know, um, you may be familiar with. And immediately after birth, getting getting infants, uh, babies, and toddlers. Uh, into the water is a really good idea. Uh, as as young people, our brains are are growing as fast as they will ever grow. So every you're a sponge, literally, and your brain is growing, and you're taking in the world around you. You're learning so much so fast, and water is your friend. And so, getting comfortable in that three dimensional space uh, in the water at that age is is great. And then you, you go into the next age, which I call play, and so you you just start playing in the world and and again your brain is is growing and developing and play is the best way to learn just try to break everything and try to try to mess around and jump off of things and jump into things and bang things together and make noise and make sounds and and you so you do that for for a while uh and you learn and that's really the best kind of learning is the playful kind mm. uh google knows that they give their their employees lots of playtime at work, uh, and so these you know these concepts are carry all the way through life. But then the next age, there's three middle ages uh, that I call the lover, the fighter, and the justice, and that that's the bulk of our our adult lives. Um, the lover is you know it's the age where we fall in love with each other, uh, we're we're romantic, uh, where we start to recognize there is a, an opposite sex and and they're really interesting, or same sex and we fall in love with each other and we get romantic inclinations and water is the matrix uh, for romance. So there's nothing really more romantic than a, uh, some water time. And, uh, you know, our, our, our ceremonies, our love ceremonies, uh, our honeymoons uh, often have a, a watery backdrop. And uh, so the, there's the lover. Then, and you also fall in love with who you are you find your passion. Uh, that passion can be other people. Passion can be nature. Uh, can be a be a sport. It can be art. Uh, it can be a way of a way of thinking. Uh, but you figure out your passion during that age. Uh, if I can, and then, if yeah, I can, before go. you keep keep uh, <laughs> going, I want to interrupt with uh, a question that I already know the answer to, which is just uh, if water is is part of falling in love and and that portion. Um, how did you propose to your wife? <laughs> I, all right. Uh, I proposed underwater. Uh, I, I slipped a, a, a ring shaped like a turtle onto her finger oh, underwater um, in the ocean off a, of off a Baja. Wow. And uh, then when we came up for air, uh, I, I asked her if she'd marry me. And uh, she said, if, only if I learned to cook. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Have you learned now, to cook? Yeah, I had to, I, had to, I had to serve her a meal with all of her friends. Uh, I was the, the chef and the waiter um, to make the point. But oh, yes, and then hilarious. we nice. we, uh, we got married by the ocean and we honeymooned by the ocean. So um, that and it was all very romantic and beautiful and lovely and memorable. I think that's kind of the, the part of it as well. And she's also a water person. She's fully in this with you as far as as far as the she water is. goes. Yeah, she 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 loves all all of this conversation and love more on the on the. Not less on the science side, more on the uh, the doing part, yeah, great. <laughs> the active part. Uh, 
So please continue. Yeah. So so that that's the lover, and I I think we you know we many of us can think of some romantic moment that where the water was involved, and it isn't just the ocean. It's it's all kinds of water. It could be a hot tub. It could be it could be a river down the road. Uh, and then we get into this, the age that I call the fighter, which is where you 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 battle for what you what you love. You you go to, you go to war in some cases. You're a warrior. You go you you're an activist. Uh, if you're an athlete, you're you're you know you work hard to win uh, at that sport that you're that you care about. You train hard, uh, and you need water to balance that out because that's that's a, a red mind kind of kind of age where um, you may exhaust yourself, you may burn yourself out. You're 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 so passionate for what you love that you 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 can burn out uh, and you can get yourself into all kinds of trouble. Uh, if you kind of go off, um, go off the end of that. And so water becomes therapeutic in a way, um, to bring you back to, to blue mind when, when your passions are really, really hot for that thing that you're in love with. Hmm. And, uh, and then the third, third middle age, um, I call the justice, which is, uh, kind of where I am right now in my life. And it's where you're, you begin to take on more responsibility uh, for your, you know, it's, you have a family, uh, you have responsibilities there. Uh, you have friends that you support and who support you. You may have a business. Uh, you may be uh, advising people. Uh, you may have a podcast and people listen to what you think about your technology and about your industry. And so you've taken on this role uh, of, of, of the justice uh, where you're, you're weighing things and you're, you're coming to conclusions and that requires creativity, uh, requires brain power, requires um, steadiness, um, and water helps with that very much. So uh, it help it helps us to get undistracted. It helps us to unplug, uh, so that we can have big big thoughts and good thoughts and 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 uh, and and progress society. And so that's our our role as the justice. Uh, and then the last two ages are ebb, which is when gravity starts to take its toll. And, you know, you, your knees may not work the way they used to. And uh, you may need you need water as therapy. You start to slow down. Um, you really feel you feel the gravity uh, on you and uh, you, you start to wear down a bit. And uh, water really takes on a therapeutic role at that point. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you're you're, you know, necessarily any less productive, but you're you know, you, you feel the years stacking up and you feel gravity more and more. Uh, and, um, and I, and I've been in touch with a lot of people, uh, who are in that age who they're getting into the water. They're learning that getting into the water more is a really good idea. Uh, they, they have found the, you know, the art of floating and it is really good for them. Uh, instead of jogging on a trail, they walk laps in a pool and they find that it's, it's a good workout, uh, and it's not as hard on their bodies Mm -hmm. and they feel better. And so that, that age is, um, you know, called ebb. And then the last stage is, is death and, uh, the process of end of life and, and dying is something we don't really talk about very much, but water, uh, is a very important backdrop, uh, to that age as well. Um, not just for the person who's who's passing, but also for their their friends and families, and their caregivers. Uh, water uh, is a place where 
you can go to mourn and grieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a place where you can uh, go, you can take your loved one bef- as they're as they're dying, and take maybe one last visit to that waterway that that you fell in love with together. Uh, uh, splash in it, or just go look at it. Um, and there's a reason why there are a lot of benches overlooking water mm-hmm. that have people's names on them, uh, memorial benches, mm-hmm. and it's because those are the places that people love to go and. We remember those people after they're gone by, by you know, taking care of that bench in their name. Uh, and then a lot of times we go to the water to memorialize uh, those we've lost. Um, both of my fathers passed away in the past few years. And uh, we, uh, that's what we did without even thinking about it. We gathered uh, by the water and in the water, literally, and uh, in Maine and Arizona. And... Um, remembered uh, my father's and uh, water was an important part of their lives and it was an important part of uh, memorializing them. Uh, you hear stories about people want, you know, saying, hey, when I'm, when I'm gone, uh, scatter my ashes over uh, that river, mm-hmm. uh, that ocean, that lake. Go out in a boat and, um, and do that. Or surfers like to do paddle outs. Uh, you know, a hundred surfers will go out together and and get in a circle, um, and just you know, say a prayer for the for the lost friend. And uh, water is, is is part of of birth all the way through our lives and and death. And so that's the idea of the seven ages of water. And if we if we have that in mind, uh, maybe it, it, again it nudges us towards that recognition and appreciation of all the different ways we can we can reconnect or connect more deeply uh, with our, with the water all around us. And uh, so the, the book has been really, I would say really fun to write because that's such a solid backbone that seven ages of water feels uh, rock solid. Like this, you know, the spine of the spine, you know, that's whole, keeps you upright. Mm-hmm. And every, every story I come across uh, or every, every bit of research, uh, I know exactly which chapter it goes into immediately. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I guess I would say if you've got anecdotes and stories and insights that, you know, light up when you hear about those seven ages, pass them on, you know, they, they could end up in the book. Um, and they, they'll, they'll end up in, in the conversations we have around the book when it comes out. Uh, so I, I, I love hearing, uh, different, different people's insights, um, into, into water and, in that framework. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, yeah. it's a little bit of poetry at the seven ages of water. I have to say for those who are Shakespeare fans, you may recognize, uh, this, one of the most famous passages that Shakespeare wrote is called the seven ages of man. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, from as you like it. And it begins, uh, all the world's a stage. And then it goes kind of marching through the seven ages, uh, in a, in a human life. And so I borrow that, um, Shakespearean structure. It's just a good, a good, uh, un, it's a good, a good stage to begin a book on, uh, is just borrowing from the bard. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, uh, Shakespeare fans will recognize that, uh, those connections there, those words line up nicely. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. When, when you start asking, uh, saying, 
that you want stories. The one that comes to mind for me is uh, a woman who was uh, our acupuncturist was giving her hospice care and she would come in as, as long as she could until she wasn't able to anymore. She knew that she had, she was going to be moving on uh, and going into float was just her. Um, well, I want to now find out exactly what it was to her and, and it's been a little while, but it meant a, so much for to her beyond just pain relief and they're, they're, pain was a major factor of it, but I think there was a lot of playfulness involved with it as well. And, um, I know the word letting go is used a lot in floating, but I think for her, it had a particular meaning. So I want to, I want to find out more about what that meant to her. That's interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. Very, very, it's very, it's a, you know, it's a tough topic to talk about that, you know, end of life. And I've, I've given keynotes at, at several hospice conferences hmm. And I find that community to be uh, uh, really, really giving, obviously, very open-minded and open to all healing modalities, not even, you know, healing pain, uh, you know, pain uh, alleviation, um, mindfulness, meditation, uh, any kind of therapy that is, uh, is good for their patients and their patients' mm -hmm. families. So and for, for the caregivers themselves. So how did you end up speaking at a hospice conference? Uh, well, as I, as I began to think a lot more about sort of end of life and, and water, I, re I reached out to some folks who are leaders in, in hospice uh, medicine and end of life care. And uh, it turns out they hadn't really thought much about water uh, in, in their community as a formally at least. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I was asked to, to give a, uh, an opening keynote at one of their conferences in, uh, it was in Oklahoma, in fact, uh, in Oklahoma City, and, and then again in Missouri, and then uh, most recently in Arkansas, in Little Rock, and, uh, uh, and you know, not oceany places by any means, and, but very much places where people are in love with their water. And it turns out they they needed that little nudge to to uh, uh, think more about end of life care and water, and uh, and I you know I mentioned I always mentioned Justin's research and I got a couple of great slides of of uh, and mentioned uh, Emily uh, Emily's book and how you know people are using uh, uh, floating therapeutically uh, in in life but also you know end of life it. it it's certainly a good idea uh, to consider, and and then we get really we get into a pretty provocative topic, which is um, what if um, there were a special sort of center that were set up that if you if you wanted to go there for your last moments and have that occur uh, literally in water, or could that kind of facility be brought into your hospital room, uh, much in the same way that water birth is an option for. <laughs> For um, women going into labor, yeah. uh, water death could be an option wow. uh, for for um, for us as we leave, and uh, you know all kinds of logistical uh, uh, problems uh, and issues and challenges. But uh, I love those kinds of conversations, and my goal, frankly, is to have that available for myself. Uh, I I think the technology that you are pioneering in your community um, could be re, obviously rebranded and repurposed uh, for the hospice community, uh, which is a 
a fat into demographically a very fast growing sector. Uh, we have a we have a a big aging population that uh, you know, the baby baby boomers have reinvented everything, and they're going to reinvent death. Oh, interesting! And, interesting. and I think th- their reinvention of death will involve what more water and um more hallucinogenics frankly hmm. uh which you know th- don't always have to go together uh but that's uh <laughs> but it's the topic that i know the float community uh uh is is aware of as well and it all the way back to you know to dr lily's work and um and so if that if that helps in in those last days you know hours uh of life for that that passage to be painless uh, and beautiful um bring it bring it bring it on uh and so that's that's a a place i've been living a little bit thinking a little bit uh and again wide open to suggestions from the float community uh as to what that might look like and several doctors from from the hospice community are very interested in exploring uh, how that might work in in a in a uh, a very real way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was almost that's thinking. A, I was like, do we call this podcast uh, <laughs> "Death by Psychedelics and Float Tanks"? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say we don't. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, it's a. It needs to be talked about, and I mm-hmm. and I, you know, I wish I. would I wish I'd had some different, mm-hmm. longer, better conversations uh, with my biological and adopted fathers. Then, then I, I ran out of time, and uh, mm. uh, there it's hard. It's a hard topic to bring up, and I, you know, um, and it, it hits home right for for all of us yeah. right now. I, I'm, we're nodding and, and hum, humming because <laughs> right. it's it's a uh, it's painful, uh, familiar, close to home. You lose a friend, you lose a family member, a loved one. Uh, it, it sucks, and um, it sucks less if you can get into the water. I mean, that's just uh, true. Uh, and if 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 you have a, a some nature that you can go into and and scream and cry, uh, good, do it. Uh, so, I, you know, talk about it. Ask ask uh, ask your family member if they're in in end of life phase um do they want to get into the water again and which water and then do it then do it just do it Mm. take them you know you might have to carry them Mm. uh they may not even be able to walk or move but get get in the water uh and it and you will again form one of the best memories of um of your of your life and their life uh so i wish i wish i'd I wish I'd done it a little bit more myself. Wow. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Right. So, are you guys Cubs fans or oh, Dodgers oh, fans? Oh, Is that oh, kind of, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> if we could spend just a little bit more time <laughs> here, just because there's, there's so many, you're, t- you're talking about somebody passing on, um, being in the water and experiencing that and experiencing it together with your family or, or your community. Another aspect, um, one of my biggest fears is death and not of myself, but of the ones I love. And whenever I go on any kind of a journey, 
bam, that is what comes up. And it's terrifying to me. Losing my brother yeah. is probably the biggest fear I have in my life. And and uh, my my parents and wife are, are just right up there. And now my daughter, oh, that's just anxiety. Right. I yeah. mean, that's just anxiety. Oof. But anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, what I mean to get at is um, uh, in the float tank is a space where I feel very safe experiencing those fears where it's able to bubble up and I'm able to process it. And that's something that I've noticed where we have floaters. Um, and, and, you know, we don't always recommend somebody jumps into a float tank right after experiencing a loss um, because we know it can be very powerful. Uh, difficult is a word that comes up. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, maybe sometimes you want a little bit of space before jumping into that. Um, but but just talking about water and again, just time in a quiet lake or kayaking on a calm river, those can be the perfect spaces to experience um, processing and kind of reliving experiences from from what I've witnessed. Yeah. And I, I think relying on on the floaters' intuition, you know, if they if they think you're right, mm -hmm. I don't want to be in in a in a float tank right now, then then they're probably right. But if they're if they're um, experienced floaters and they're just looking at you saying that's where I need to go, right. then then they're probably right. I guess that would be my my take on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amy, was there something you wanted to to say? No, actually, I want to thank you. There's just so many uh, powerful conversations that are being started and things that I know that I have not uh, thought about um, in that way uh, before. And yet I see it as someone who almost actually almost lost a parent uh, just a few months ago. Uh, and I remember as he was nearing the end, what we thought was going to be the end of his life is that was the thing. It's like, just let me go. I just want to go. He wanted, they have a house in Florida. They wanted to go. He wanted to go be in the water in Florida. He was awaiting a transplant. He couldn't go. And there was such a, that was, I, I think in the end, when he finally, things happened, he finally got a transplant. That was the thing that got him through is, it's like, you know, if you can just get through this, if you can just get through this, we can go to Florida, we can get you back in the water. And when we finally got to do that, it was a very, very, very powerful moment and um, for all of us, we were all in Florida together. We were snorkeling. We were going scalloping. But there was this really um, beautiful, beautiful time. And wow, it was, it, it, as you're talking about this, I mean, I, I remember it a lot. But as you're talking about this, this is super, super powerful stuff that, um, that could change everything for a family mm -hmm. or for, for someone. Mm -hmm. This is super, super important. It is. It's, it's an important conversation. And it's a very personal conversation for, for, uh, for everyone. Uh, but it, again, it's that nudge, you know, that reminder. And maybe, maybe, you know, us talking about it right now is going to trigger a whole bunch of people to say, you're right. I got it. I'm going to go, you know, we're going to have dinner and we're going to talk about this. I'm going to ask, hmm. you know, m my loved ones, uh, some of these questions. Uh, and I think, you know, Dylan, the, I think what we do, if we, when we write down something like, hey, when I'm gone, uh, I want you to all get together, you know, by the old pond, out on the pier, you know, down at the beach, down in Florida, where, by the river, whatever it is, I want you to take together, take my ashes and, and do this thing. I think what we're doing ourselves while we're alive is, is a beautiful thing. It's mandating that everybody get together by the water. Because if that is your final request, they're going to do it. Like they have to do it. They will. They will. 
it might take months before they can mm-hmm. get everybody together to do that thing that you, but they have to do it because that right. was your final request. And when it involves a beautiful place, that's your last gift to the people you love. Mm. You, you force them to unplug, to go together to the water and to cry it out or, or you know, laugh, play some music and look out at that water. And that's a gift. And I think we, we do that while we're li- alive as a way to deal with the pain that we don't want to cause. So it's, a, it's kind of like, it's so painful to imagine leaving your loved ones and causing them that pain. Like that's, that's part of the empathy of it. And in order to deal with that, we, we, we make demands like get together on the beach <laughs> in my memory. Cause it's, a, it's the, it's the way to soften the pain for them. And I, uh, subconsciously, perhaps it's something that we we imagine because you're not there. You're 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 dust. Right. Uh, you're you're you know you're in the you're in the bag or the bowl or the box, and you know you're the you're the dust that gets thrown out. Um, but in life, we love imagining that that's our final, you know, our final act, our final request is such a beautiful gesture, and uh, and I think that's why so many people imagine their loved ones scattering their ashes over water uh, because it's a, it's a bomb bomb for their loved ones. Yeah. It's interesting. It's fascinating. Fascinating. And, and I find it exciting that the medical community is also, there is also seeing some uh, interest or doing, having some interest in this and seeing some positive things that could come from this. Uh, Yeah. That's and Amy, if yeah. I can just say, like, I I was blown away when I heard your dad was snorkeling and, and scouting, <laughs> like, which is, he just, I mean. Seven months after, or I mean, sorry, seven weeks after his wow. and major surgery, yeah, and four hours, and, and the captain of the boat kept saying, somebody go find Marlon and bring him back in. We were just out <laughs> playing in the water. We had so much fun. We were just playing. Yeah. Almost, almost got to the point, it's like, oh, we forgot about the scallops. We were, like, diving nice. down, checking out the coral. We were having fun. It was just so much. Well, fun. your Best and day. your your that story, it it wraps all seven ages of water together because it's, you know, you are the daughter of a man who is, you know, he he was looking looking death square in the face, and then then there's the play part, and you know he he lived a, a, a full life, all of those stages, and it's love, it's passion, it's fight. He fought for his life. He won. And then he went and played in the water with you. I mean, it's just like it's all, all seven ages are wrapped right in that moment in the water together. And uh, it's beautiful, beautiful story. Yeah. Jay, we didn't get through half of the things <laughs> we wanted to talk about tonight. This is so much fun and so interesting talking with you. Before, we'll do it again. We'll do I, it again. I would love that. I know we all would absolutely love that. Um, you know, just one other thing I want to ask about your Patreon campaign for Go Deeper. Can you tell me a little bit about, about that before we wrap it up? Yeah. So um, here, if anybody is thinking of writing a book, give me a call. I'll, I will. I'd love to talk about just books and and how how that all the book stuff works. Uh, one thing I learned is it's it's harder harder than you think it's going to be. Uh, there, you know, you you are 
you are your book is a small business basically mm -hmm. uh, you are not only the writer editor but you are the promoter you are the spokesperson and, and salesperson and you know, I showed you earlier the cases of books in my dining room. Um, so it's, uh, it's not a way to make a living. It's a way, it's a way to share ideas. Um, and so this time, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a rough five years uh, giving birth to Blue Mine. Uh, it, drained, it drained all of our tanks, literally, in, mm. in, my, in my household. Uh, I, my wife and kids are incredibly supportive, but, you know, you know, the night that they repoed the car was kind of a, a low, a low wow. point. And, uh, and we just pushed through and, but I do not want to take my family down that road with the second book. So, uh, I created this <laughs> Patreon campaign to like find, find anybody in the world that wants to, you know, show up with a dollar a month and say, you know, they're, they're on board and, uh, Patreon's a cool platform for, for crowdfunding, uh, recurring contributions. A lot of artists use it. A lot of media makers use it. Uh, and the idea is that, you know, it's fun. You get, you get more than you give. If you're a patron, uh, you'll get, you'll be the, you know, one of the first people to, to get a book, but we have all kinds of cool prizes. So people have donated interesting stuff that we'll send out to the patrons as surprises along the way. Cool. Um, you're on, you know, kind of on a front, front row seat. Uh, on the the research process, um, we post you know blog entries and and videos and stuff, and um, so that's kind of you know one way I'm supplementing the the uh, the creation of 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 the next book uh, so that it doesn't sort of sort of kind of it's not it's not as stressful. I don't want it to be as stressful as the the first process, I guess, without getting too down in the weeds on all that part, but. <laughs> Um, Maybe we need but, to talk about you know, that next time because we're we're yeah. entrepreneurs here. We <laughs> yes, we, yeah. We all I mean, well. you do what you have to do. You know, you have a you have a, a day job or a night job or you know side gigs. Whether you know it's to make music or it's to to be an entrepreneur, and it's, it's no different writing writing books and uh, and writing books that are kind of oh, maybe on 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 the edge of something. Hmm. Um, as I think everybody probably who's listening to this podcast knows well. Uh, you're on. You're on the cutting edge. You know, everybody, everybody's listening to this is on is on the cutting edge uh, of 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 this movement, and um, and we're all trying to make it happen and uh, supporting ourselves and our families adequately so we can so we can thrive uh, is important. And so check out Patreon if you know it might be a a thing a tool that's useful um, to your projects. Uh, and you might find the one I'm doing interesting. So, and again, I'm happy to have, to chat about crowdfunding, social media, book publishing. Uh, if people um, think think there's something useful uh, in my experience. And if somebody's interested in stocking up Blue Mine for their float center, where should they go? Yeah, get get in touch. Um, we can get signed copies of Blue Mind uh, at you know half. I think it's, it's around half of the the cover price. Um, my recommendation is, you know, you buy them signed with blue marbles and then just keystone it, sell them, you know, sell them for 20 bucks. And, um, uh, and that, you know, that's also supports, uh, the writing of the next book. Cool. Good uh, so yeah, I'm happy to talk to anybody who wants to, you know, to try it out with a case of books. And if, if it doesn't, 
if they don't sell, we'll, we'll buy them back from you. Hmm. So there's there's no risk involved. Uh, I'd give the books away if I could. I really, I really, I really would. As I get to know you better, I think that's like 100% true. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, um, having them at your float center, um, they make a great gift for members, uh, for new members. Uh, I have given away, I, I finally bought the Kindle edition because I kept giving away my, uh, the, the ones that I purchased. Uh, but they are, it's a really easy to read book. It's a beautiful book and, uh, can be uh, even a prize if you do a drawing uh, at your float cool. center. They're good for that too. Good call. And just as another side note, you can also find it on Audible as well. There's the the, the voice version as well, the live recording. So it's uh, it's been translated into Chinese, Italian, Russian, Korean, uh, and and other some Australian, <laughs> British. So there's something there. I think that's what we can learn from yeah. that. There's something there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Jay, thank you again um, on behalf of all uh, of thank us. You. Thank you so much for joining us. And I, I hope it's not too long till, till we have you on the show again. Yeah. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll, we'll see you next week. You're listening to Art of the Flow.